here tonight who's been hanging out for Heartbeat. I have. It's a great service. I love our extra services. And I just want to encourage all our Bible college students here tonight. Where are they all? Stand up. Let's give them a really... Stand up. Come on, don't be shy. just want to honour our students for taking that, that step to study the Word of God and to prepare themselves now. We're going to look at that a little bit later. But uh, one of the things I like to do is uh, talk about things that you don't talk about in church at, on nights like this. So tonight I've got a segment called Min- Ministry Etiquette. And do you know how hard it was for me to spell etiquette and to even try and look it up? Because I'm thinking that it's E-D or E-T or, and I've eventually found it. And um, uh, it's a really interesting word, a really interesting concept, this thing called etiquette. Because uh, etiquette, um, it's accepted behaviour or proper conduct. And that's different wherever you go. So if I'm in Japan, the conduct and etiquette that, that is proper is different to what I'm used to. And, and if, you know, the, the etiquette that is proper in your house, even within our own culture, will be different to, to what's in my house. And it's the same in church. So etiquette from church to church is going to be slightly different and sometimes completely different. But it's, it's really important um, that we understand some church etiquette that is going to work for us here. As, as if you've done um, what, what our one uh, purpose nights, you'll understand that, that we talk a lot about uh, this type of stuff there when people are new to church and how that all fits together. But um, uh, tonight I just want to briefly talk about ministry etiquette dealing with complaints. Who loves complaints? You know, I think it's one of those things that no one loves listening to complaints. But we can be doing really well in church. Um, but one thing that is sure that there'll be complaints. And, and listen, I've watched over the last year, our church has grown 17%. Just to give you some perspective on that, Hillsong, over the many, many years, and I've only learnt this last week at our AGM, that over many, many years, Hillsong grows on average 7% a year. That's, and, and, and you've seen that consistency and they've become uh, what they are today and we celebrate that. But growing you know, by 17% now, t- Sunday attendances is a huge milestone. It's fantastic. It's really exciting. But you know what? I think there's almost been like a, a, a 50% increase of complaints about all sorts of things. So got to find out how that works. But th- listen to this. Moses got complaints. King David got complaints. And Jesus got complaints. So uh, yeah, I've got scriptures for all those things. If you really want to know, you can see me later. But when you're in the hot seat, Often the complaint won't come to me, but it could come to you, especially if you're serving in some way. You'll hear the complaints. People come to you with complaints. So um, just an example, in some churches, they have home rules. They might say, in this church, this is how we do this or that. I'm not going to mention anything because people say, oh, he's just talking about us right now. But I'm going to steer clear of any issue. But so uh, one church might say, we've got rules for this and this and that, and people will complain. Uh, yeah, all right, I'll say something. It would be like if we had reserved seats in the front row. If, you, if we had reserved seating in the front row, like they do in some churches, people complain. Why do they have reserved seating for? That's not fair. Why, why can't anyone sit in the front row? Why, why do they do that? So there will be complaints. And so in other churches like ours, we don't have any reserved seating in the front row and people will still complain because they go, they let anyone sit there. So whichever way you go, you're going to have that complaint. So th- here's some do's for you that hopefully will help you 
when you're the person, you, you just thought, I just came up to do the welcome team. I can't get in any trouble being on the welcome team. But suddenly, that one day when you decided to take that step, someone gets in your face and starts to give you the message. So here's a, a few things that you need to do. Number one, do listen. And what you have to ask yourself when, you get, when you're the person in the hot seat is, is there merit to the story? And it's really important that you determine the issue because sometimes it's not an issue that is, that is relevant to the thing that they're complaining about and you've got to be really careful and sometimes we have to develop a spirit, a spirit of discernment because they're not complaining about the this or the that or whatever. That There's, a, there's an internal issue of dissatisfaction and it's coming from within them. And so you just have to, you have to, be, you have to be wary about that. But the next thing is do look into it with appropriate department leader or pastor. So it's not, you don't just say, oh, well, you just got a bad attitude, nick off, because sometimes it might, might not be just that. So do look into it with the appropriate department leader or pastor, but keep an open perspective. So next thing, do follow up with the department or pastor what solutions may be out there, but that's something you can help with. Because plenty of times we have second-hand and third-hand complaints that someone else heard, then they come to you, like they go, and go, pastor, here's a complaint that someone told me, and boom, it's up to you to deal with. But what we need to do is follow up with with our departments or our pastors what solutions may be out there? So you start to become part of making things better. Uh, number four, keep it in context or it can seem bigger than it really is. So sometimes things get blown way out of perspective and proportion. And you know, when, I've heard other speakers say this. When people say everybody thinks this or everybody you know, is, is complaining usually means two or three people. That's not everybody. It's a very small group. So we need to realize these things. So a, a few things uh, not to do. Some don'ts. Don't vent your own frustration or displeasure because uh, uh, negativity is attractive. So when someone says, well, you know what, I don't like this or that, it's really, really, um, it's, like a, it's like a bait that is dangled in front of us and we, and we say, yeah, you know what? Well, you think you've got problems. You think you've got a complaint. I, I know that. Everyone says that. Don't vent your own frustrations or displeasure when someone comes to tell you of a complaint because then you carry uh, or reinforce a negativity that can really spoil someone's church experience rather than trying to encourage them through to a better day. Um, don't say... Oh, it's what the pastor wants. So, you know, I, I saw a family leave the church in a church room because there was an argument in the kitchen. I know it would never happen here. There was an argument in the kitchen because one person was putting out certain cups and another person said, oh, well, I don't want to put out these cups. And they said, no, 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 we, the pastor doesn't want those cups being used. The funny thing was the pastor didn't care. But they, but they said, no, 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 it's what the pastor wants. And, and this, this guy in, in, in the dispute said well that's it i'm not coming under a spirit of control about about what cups to use and i can't stay in this church so because of that simple thing about what cups to use you had a family leave church and we don't want that to happen but don't say it's what the pastor wants that's not an answer 
and that's not showing leadership. And what we want to do while you come out on nights like this, we want to teach you how to be leaders in the church and, and have a better solution to what people are coming at, at with. Well, that didn't make sense, but it doesn't matter. Um, because a, a thing, a, 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 an answer like that doesn't uh, work for unity. See, that answer causes a divide between the pastor and the church. And if we realize the devil loves to separate the sheep from the shepherd, he likes to separate the sheep from their pastor and make people think that the pastor's a, a horrible, mean person and in turn separates people from the pattern that God has made for their lives as well. So that's the devil's plan. Um, avoid dealing with an issue before or after church. And that can be really hard to do. Um, you know, I, I, I've lost count of the times, literally, where church has just about started and someone will come to me and say, well, I just want to let you know and, and blah, 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 blah. And, and it's not the time or the place. So you've got, to, you've got to carry that yourself and think, well, I might be bugged about something, but I'm going to make an appropriate time to talk about that with my department leader or with someone else who can help me with this. Don't do it just straight before or after church. It's not the place because there's lots of other things happening around there. And you know something? It is quite off-putting to try and get up and preach when you know someone doesn't like something. And, they've, you know, and they, they don't, honestly, if you're in my shoes, they don't come and say, oh, look, I'm really, oh, I feel a little bit, you know, about this. They come so strong. Well, I just want to let you know I hate. Uh, I just want to let you know whose idea was that? You know, and they, they come out with these really strong words. And I've got to get up and say, you know, the Lord loves you, everybody, today. And I'm thinking, I just want to. So before and after church, not the place. Number four, don't promise things that are out of your authority. So sometimes we can say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that. I'll make sure. And, yeah, because I know, because I've, I've told them the same thing. So um, don't, don't uh, promise things that are out of your control to change. Um, because what happens then is you end up galvanized or welding to achieve someone else's political goal. And then you start, you start to carry things. Well, I, t- I told them, so I have a responsibility now. And I feel bad because I said that I would, I would follow it up. And I, I, and, and I agree with you. But, you know, sometimes you have to learn the ability to say, look, I'll have a talk to the pastor, I'll bring it to their attention, and I'll get back to you about that. That's about the best thing you can say without making promises um, that you're not able to actually, um, have, you haven't got the authority to, to change. So dealing well with, complaints isn't about changing course every time because we can't do that we we can't keep changing course every time someone says they're not happy with something otherwise we we would just never get anywhere i remember in primary school learning the story of in greece that old greek fable of the old man and the donkey and someone came along and they they said what why aren't you on the donkey so so he hopped on the donkey someone else came along said what you that's cruel why don't you you know, let the little kid ride the donkey. So they put the kid on the donkey. Then someone else says, well, how come the kid's on the donkey? You're the old man. You should be on the donkey. Then someone else comes along and says, it's along these lines. It's not exactly right. Then someone else comes along and says, that poor donkey. And then the old man ends up carrying the donkey. So we can't, we can't lead and go where we need to go if we're, if we're trying just to uh, keep everybody happy like that. So... This is how we, this is the thing. Dealing with complaints well is about knowing who we are and why we do what we do. 
And so sometimes we just need to understand why do we do this in church? And, and look, you know, so, some of the things, um, honestly, that, that, that people complain about, I can find scriptures for everyone. I can find scriptures for everything. So, you know, people say, oh, we don't like this, we don't like that. Well, I'll say, well, I'll, find it. I'll find it in the Old Testament. Don't dare me to, I'll find it. But we, but we don't, we, 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 we do what we do because it's how we do church. And that's, that's, you know, what I think God's put on me and, and that's uh, the, the, the flavour, the style, the, the, um, the culture is what God's given us to do and that's all we have to stay true to. Um, so just to take the heat off, we all need to understand we won't please everyone and we'll kill ourselves if we try. So uh, Moses couldn't keep everyone happy. King David couldn't keep everybody happy. And surprise, surprise, Jesus, the Son of God, couldn't keep everybody happy. So when, when, you, when we start to think of that, because I carry the burden when I know someone's not happy. When, when someone says, oh, I don't, you know, who did this and why did we do that? And I can't understand why. And I go home thinking like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what else happened that day. I could have five salvations and go home feeling, oh, you know, I, I really, that really hit me. Uh, I, you know, the other, a few weeks ago, someone came to me after church and I thought they were going to give me a compliment. But they didn't. <laughs> it was the opposite. I'm thinking, oh, they said, oh, I just want to talk to you. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. They're going to say something nice, I'm sure. How good I preach or something. I just want to let you know. And I was like, oh, yes. You know, so I spent the, the, that whole, whole afternoon and night thinking like, well, how can I do that better? How can I keep that person happy? You know, we shouldn't have to be dealing with that. <clears throat> so anyhow, we're going to deal with these things better as we go. Um, so the lesson for us is, is don't judge the, effective, the effectiveness of any leader or church on the level of complaints. An example is Hillsong. You know, you, you look at the level of complaints or, or you look at any church in Australia that's doing something good, just Google it and, and you'll see all this rubbish comes up. You know what, if we're going to say, oh, they, look at how bad they are, but usually it means they're really effective and the devil doesn't like it and he'll use any way to try and make that look bad. So... Um, Pastor Phil Hills, uh, many, of you, many of you might remember him, he came a few years ago, uh, he gave me this advice. He said, some people get on the bus and some people get off the bus, but you just have to keep driving till you get there. And you know something, that's all I want to do is just drive the bus where God's leading me to drive it. And some people will join us and some people will, will jump off, but you know what, we just got to do what God's telling us to do. So... That was uh, ministry etiquette number one, dealing with complaints. <clears throat> so the title of my message now, we're just going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you help us as a people uh, to know how to deal with this thing called church. Lord, we, we all struggle with different things and we all are trying to work out our way. And, and Lord, you know that uh, we want to build a, your kingdom. We want to honour you and we want to see uh, the, the right things in place in this church. So, Lord, I just pray as we think about some of those things we just mentioned, Lord God, that we will do that well in the future and that we'll be able to uh, discriminate and discern uh, what's a real issue and, and what's coming from something else. But, Lord, I just pray that uh, you keep, keep that in our minds and that we all may develop and grow in those areas. So I thank you for that in Jesus' name. So I just want to just briefly say... <clears throat> 
as most of you would know, our mission statement is to be a large, relevant church of mature believers who love our community. But uh, thinking of, of some of these things, but being a large, relevant church, uh, that means that we need to look at what the church will need for the future. Because I can say right now we're not all that large, um, but I'm hoping that we're becoming more and more relevant, and as we do that, the church will, you know, will grow. But um, a large church needs some things. A large church needs staff, and we need to train those staff. So one of the things that, that I hope we never have to do is recruit from outside. I want us to be a church that trains people, that develops people, and that finds positions for people that are within our church. Um, so when we need a youth pastor, I, I pray that we'll have people in our church that we can say, well, we're going to employ that person. When we, when we need uh, kids workers or when we need a worship leader, uh, when we need associate pastors, I want them to come from within our church because that's, to me, the measure of effectiveness of our church is when we can do that. It was prophesied over Pauline and myself in our first year here that God has got all these small stones around you and all the ministry you need is in them stones. You've got to develop them. That's where the treasures are. They just look like ordinary pebbles, but they're going to be the treasures, the gold, and the, the precious gems are all around you. So that's our mandate from God that was prophesied over us from them, uh, from that time. Um, but we, need to, we also need to be givers. And I want to talk to you tonight as leaders. You need to be givers in the church. Now, I don't ask people you know, how they give or what they give. Um, I, I, don't, um, I, I don't have a, a thing where I say, well, if you want to rise up in leadership, I'm going to first do an interview and see if you're tithing or not. I'm not going to do that. I'll never do that. But I will challenge you at whatever level of leadership you're at, if you want to step into a, a new level of freedom into the future, whether you, you know, I don't know whether you're tired, I, I haven't asked you, or I don't even want to ask you, but I will challenge you today, tonight, that you need to start thinking, what is my level of giving? And, and you might think, well, I tithe this and I, I tithe in different ways. You know, th there is a challenge until you learn to just tithe your money. There's a big challenge just in that. So just want to leave that little bit with you. Um, but uh, we want to have a culture that leads people to freedom in Jesus in every part of their life. And uh, I believe that God wants to do that. Um, so I want to show you some stuff tonight and introduce um, this place called Bethel to you as an example of, li of uh, living relationally with God with no traps. And that's what I think Bethel represents tonight. So I'm going to take you through this little place called Bethel. So, just give you a, a little story of my own life. The devil has a sneaky way to, di to divert our attention. And part of my journey to being where I am began with a reversal. And often we go through life reversals where we think, you know, uh, I'm at this stage and the next stage will be this and the next stage will be that. And, and, but what happened in my particular life, I, I, I was an associate pastor and I thought, well, next stage is, is some, somehow I'll, I'll go into pastoring my own church. And, and, uh, and I remember speaking to my pastor at, the, at this point in time, you might have heard this story, and I said to, said to him, well, you know, I've just been thinking about the future and I, I really think that God's going to um, yeah, open a door and I'll pastor a church and probably see myself being a regional leader. And I remember the pastor sitting there nodding his head saying, interesting, interesting. Now, I don't know what he was thinking, but, but 10 days later, I was fired. I was sacked. I was out of there. So I don't know whether, whether he thought that the only way those things could happen is if, if I steamrolled him or something. I, I don't know. But that wasn't what I was thinking. 
in the aftermath of that, so I was hit by this huge spanner. You know, so this, this spanner came out of nowhere and just, just knocked me. And in the aftermath, I found myself, uh, 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 as my best friend was a good dose of bitterness, and I nursed that bitterness. It was my friend. I, I was like, you know what? They owe me. I'm not the only person who ever does this. Uh, and, I, and I'm like, you know, they, 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 they shouldn't have done that to me. I, I, I don't know why. Why did this happen to me? You know, it's not fair. And I was thinking all these things. I, I wouldn't admit that at the time. I'm like, I'm all right. I'm, I'm cool with this. But really, it was there. But I was, and I was hurt as time went on because they didn't ask me back to preach. They didn't ask me. And I, I, I nursed that feeling. I'm like, but I didn't actually do anything wrong. They told me I didn't do anything wrong. So why, why can't I come back and preach? So after 10 years of giving, of serving, uh, building that house, and now they don't want me. And I had that bitterness that I just had like as a pet in my life. And one day I, was, I went back to the trade, was working back in, in, in my trade, and the Holy Spirit just pulled me up in a gentle way. Always let the Holy Spirit do it. Don't make one of your friends because they'll be mean. But the Holy Spirit pulled me up in a gentle way. And I, you know, I was in, in a time I was at work, I was probably you know, just praying, talking to God, saying, you know, it's not fair. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? And uh, and you know, I had helpful people in ministry saying to me, "Oh, how old are you now?" And I said, "Oh, I'm forty-three, or that, that age." Well, this is what they're saying. They're really helpful. We've got to really be careful that we be the encourager to people. Well, you know what? If it hasn't happened in your life yet, it's probably not going to happen. So so you know you you really feel really good after that. But um, the Holy Spirit just says to me, "You know what?" You had 10 years preaching there. 10 years, Rob. And I thought, you know what? That was plenty for them. That was plenty for them. And it changed my attitude and changed my future. And sometimes we have to have those times with the Holy Spirit. I don't know how... You do that or where you do that. I, I know I was just at work and the Holy Spirit had a conversation with me and just as clearly as that said, you had 10 years to preach in that place. And basically it was like, you had your turn. You had your time. 10 years worth. What else do you want? So this is, this is what happened. I... I um. I changed my attitude and it changed my future. See, faith gets us looking at future places, not past places. And I want to be living like that every day. So I don't want to be living in the past places thinking, but that hurt me. They, I, I, I didn't deserve what happened to me. And, and, and in a lot of places, a lot of times, these reversals, you don't deserve. We can't understand why, we don't know why, but it's part of God's positioning us if we'll keep our heart and our attitude right with Him. Then He can use us. But you know something? You know, it's not always easy and it's not going to be fun, 
But you know what? God will use it when we start to say, I want to focus on my future. There's no ministry big, uh, so, so big that God that, that gets taken away from you for whatever reason that God can't restore better if we'll keep our attitude right. And you know, the, the weirdest thing is, even though God has spoke to me all those things, I'm now doing all those things that, that I spoke about. And I didn't scheme, I didn't, I didn't plan, I didn't try and jockey myself into a position. God just dealt with the issues in me and prepared me to be what I'm doing today. So Bethel, I'll give, give you the story of this place called Bethel. We're talking about the same place, but two different stories tonight so i'm going to show you two men and their bethel experience the first person is a man called jacob you've probably all heard of jacob um he found bethel at a reversal point in his life and for him it meant the house of god or the gateway to heaven i'll read you the story um and and i'll try and go really really quick so we finish by nine o'clock is that all right genesis chapter 28 verses 10 to 13 it it says this Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba. That's where he, he, he lived all his life. And it says he traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord just in case he wasn't sure, he says, I am the Lord. Then we look at Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. It says, Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid. And, and in this version, the New Living, it doesn't say it like this, but I remember reading this for the first time. And in the version, I don't even know what version it was, it said, how awesome is this place? It says, surely God is here and I wasn't aware of it. How awesome is this place? In the, in the New Living, it says, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So in Jacob's experiences... Um, we see in verses 28, verse 19, oh, there it is. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. Now, I know you're all really excited about this, but I'm going to explain something to you. At Bethel, Jacob has his first encounter with God, and he describes it as awesome. One of the things I love about our church is often things just come together and we don't plan them. We don't ring up and say, let's strategize how this service is going to go. But I, I trust all our leaders are in the Holy Spirit. And I never told Jimmy what to sing. I didn't ask him what to sing. I didn't know what he was singing. And he sung that ancient song that we sung, you know, in, in the 1980s. Uh, but, but it's all about how awesome God is. And Jimmy didn't even know. But that's, I want to be part of a church where the, where the leaders are, are hearing what the Holy Spirit's saying. So he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. And it's at Bethel, Jacob had his first encounter with God, and it was awesome. See, the house of God is awesome. We call that our church. It's not this building as such, but, but I, want our, I want our services, our places where we come together to worship, to be awesome encounter moments for people. That's what I want, That's what I want to see. That's what I want it to be. See, one heart 
has and will be a place where people have encounters with the Lord. That's what we've got to aim for. See, see this thing, Bethel represents the place of encounter, the point of conversion, the born again moment happens at Bethel. If we're going to look at it that way. So, so Jacob has this incredible moment. Before that time, Jacob was, was, was a deceiver. He, he was grabbing after you know, his own things. He was scheming all the time. He was trying to, to get what he could for himself. And suddenly he has this moment of encounter with God and changes everything. Changes his whole perspective about life. And that's what we, we've got to be aiming for as a church is to be the place. What, why do we worship God? Why do we do what we do? Why do we do all the, the things we have on our Sunday services? Because we want to take away every blockage from someone's Bethel encounter. So the second person that had an encounter at Bethel is a man called Jer- Jer- Jeroboam. Everyone say Jeroboam. And there's a total, same place, total different experience. So we're going to look at him right now. 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26 and 29, uh, scriptures there. It says, now Jeroboam, we're going to go to, to some history now, and I don't want to confuse people, because he's a king of Israel, and so we, some, if we don't know our Bibles well, we get ourselves all, all confused. There was King David's family were the, were the anointed kings of Israel to begin with. Then we had King Solomon, incredibly uh, rich, prosperous, brought whole nation of Israel into incredible wealth. Then his son Rehoboam, it gets really confusing because they all sound the same. King Rehoboam is his son who's a bit of a jerk. He grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, a gold spoon in his mouth with diamond rings on his fingers. He had everything that he ever wanted because he lived in this thing, but he lived in a bubble that wasn't reality. And so the people said, when he became king, they said, King Rehoboam, your father put a heavy burden upon us. If you'll lessen the burden, we'll be your subjects. He says, stuff you. You're going to pay as much tax as before and even more. So in comes this man called Jeroboam, and he goes, we're not going to serve you like that. So he divides the kingdom and sets up himself as a, as a king. He's actually, was, uh, he was anointed to be the king of Israel. So the kingdom's divided. There's now a kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. The family of David still rules Judah, but now Jeroboam is, is the new king of a new dynasty called Israel. So do you understand the story? We need to understand that because a lot of people, you talk to them about that and they're like, no wonder I can't understand the Bible. So it says, Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make him their king instead. So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves. That sounds interesting. He said to the people, it is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan at either end of his kingdom. Now, verse, uh, 1 Kings 12, verse 32, it says, And Jeroboam initiated a religious festival in Bethel, the place of encounter. 
uh, held on the 15th day of the 8th month in imitation of the annual festival of shelters in Judah. There at Bethel, he himself offered sacrifices to the calves that he had made and he appointed priests to the pagan shrines he had made. So Jeroboam was motivated by his own self-preservation. He created an imitation God to suit his own purposes and he set it up at Bethel, the place where it should be known for encounters with the real God. And in this instance, Bethel represents religious activity uh, of ceremonies and sacrifices with no relationship to God at all. That is so sad. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 13, verse 33, it says he appointed anyone who wanted to become priests to the pagan altars. So if someone came along and said, well, I'm unemployed, I, I, I need a job, um, I'd like to be a priest. It's okay, be a priest. No sense of call. No sense of, of, of righteousness or anything like that. Just be a priest. You want to be, just do it. So what happened to Bethel? That's a question. What happened, I should rephrase that, what happened to Bethel? And we need to ask ourselves a question sometimes. What happened to my, my uh, awesome place? when I first came to know Jesus Christ. Because it's so easy for us to lose that experience. So what happened to the place of encounter? So Jeroboam created his own system that seemed right, but was all wrong. Bethel became a place of ceremony with no spiritual relationship with the Lord. And I don't want our church, I don't want people who say they're one heart, church people to live with a Jeroboam attitude to Bethel we need to always be saying God I want to come to church with an open heart I want to come to church with a hunger in my spirit and you know the longer you're in church the more the more your Bethel becomes like Jeroboam's Bethel where we start to create it to be you know just to, to suit our needs and our ends I better keep going real quick so Bethel became a, became a place of ceremony with no spiritual relationship with the Lord. And I tell you, sometimes you can see people in church and you can see that there's no relationship with the Lord anymore. That somehow gone out the window because they've, they've, they've allowed Bethel to be, to be ordinary to them. Doesn't matter if you had the, the most amazing service, people will still be, mm, it's not suiting my needs right now. I've just created a Bethel that's good for me. So number one, Jeroboam was motivated. These are the things we've got to watch for ourselves. Watch how we talk. Watch how we think. Watch what we're nursing. Because I've been honest with you today. We can nurse stuff and we think, but I'm justified. They took my ministry. Jeroboam was motivated by self-interest, self-preservation and a corrupt motive. Because his motive was, if, if I let them worship God, then they're going to kill me. That was his motive. Number two, Jeroboam was content with ceremonies of, of uh, religion rather than a relationship with the Lord and made sacrifices to idols of his own making. He's sacrificing to things that, that he made. Number three, Jeroboam appointed priests with no regard to the call of God upon their life. You want to be a priest? Be a priest. No, no, no sense of call or duty. Just we'll let anyone do it. 
As a result, everything in his kingdom was out of order. Now look at this, 1 Kings 13 verse 34, it says, it resulted, listen to these words, this is, this is incredible, get this part. It resulted in the utter destruction of his dynasty from the face of the earth. This is, mate, 101, how to wreck your life. So what he set out to protect for himself was actually destroyed, actually caused his whole dynasty to be destroyed. So the law of first mention. God intended Bethel to be a place of pure revelation where people could see the face of God and connection happened with Jesus. The devil wants to corrupt that, interrupt that, and make Bethel a place of compromise, a place of imitation. And I'll tell you something, as leaders, I want to I charge you, we don't want to build a church of imitation. We don't want to build a church of, of, of religious observances. We don't want to have a church where people come and say, well, I'm just here because my friends are here. We want to create an environment and what we do and everything we're doing is targeted for people to have an encounter, a Bethel moment where they can see God, where they can meet Jesus. We've got to be totally clear about that because if we're not, we're wasting time. We're, 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 we're not doing what we need to do. And you know, we, we, what can we do? How can we have that Bethel in our church? It starts by having a hunger in your spirit. You, you don't wake up on Sunday morning and come to church and go, oh, I, I, I think I'll worship now. And I, I've been doing this for years because, because I did have a, another life once. And I used to have a trade and go to work every morning and, and do all those things. But when it came to Sunday morning, I, I used to leave home before six every morning just to get to work. So I'd be up at five. I'm not saying this to brag about myself, but I want to tell you, we've got to get a hunger in our spirits for something from God, and you never know what God's going to do with you when you start to let that, when you start to let that fire get some fuel. So, so coming to that Sunday mornings, I wouldn't get up at five anymore. I'd get up at four. And Pauline didn't have to wake me. I, I would... I would get up at four in the morning. We had this tiny little office. It was a laundry in our house. We turned it into an office. It was, it was just enough room for me to lie down because I, I, I wasn't that, you know, powerful. But I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and I'd go in there and I'd read my Bible. I'd do some devotion, like, like reading. And then I'd be like, oh man, I, you know, I'd lay down on my face and just, you know, start to snore. Now, I, I probably did too, but I started to say, God, well, I need, I need your spirit. God, I need to know how to live. God, I just want to, I just want to know how to, how to see your face better. And, and it's, in those, it's in those times that, that I know God was setting something in my life. That was, that was the, a Bethel in my life, a Bethel time, a Bethel moment. And you know what? You've got you've to say, God, I need a, a Bethel moment. But you've got to discipline yourself for that. We've got five minutes. Can we do it? See, our church experience as leaders must be of a Bethel house of God and not a Bethel, let's create our own rules. I'm going to challenge you today. Don't create your own rules about church. 
Because you, you, I know there's lots of rules here in this place. There's, there's, there's lots of etiquette that you've had created for yourself, for your family. This is good for me. You know, you've got to say, God, what's best for me? God, what's best for my life? You've got to start to invest something. Some people think, well, God, if, if, if you wanted me to be in ministry, then you would have done this. Yeah, God wants to, you, I just see there's so much in your lives. Of course God wants you to be doing something with that. He's invested that and he's going to get, he's going to want to return on that investment. If that means getting up at four in the morning or whatever it is that it means for you, then, then I'll say invest it. We're going to, oh, I've got that in my notes somewhere. But Bethel represents culture of relationship and revelation that Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to be connected to, the, to, to himself and our motives to be pure. I think I've got something. Uh, I need to put that up. Bethel represents culture of relationship and revelation that keeps us connected to the Lord and our motives pure. So choose Bethel to be the place of relationship and revelation in your life. So I'll give you a few things. I, I showed you all about Jeroboam. Now, here's some good things. Number one, you need a Bethel of personal discipline. Personal disciplines. Disciplines like prayer and reading the Bible and uh, investing spiritually in your life. So you might be thinking, why do I need to read my Bible? Because you're investing in yourself. You can't draw out what you haven't put in. That's how a normal account works. You can't get it out unless you already put it in. <clears throat> put some spiritual investments into your life. Discipline yourself to read the Word and to pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to you because there's, there's too much to miss and you don't want to miss it. Number two, you've got to have a Bethel of a disciplined life. So you've got to you got to be, you got to practice disciplines and you've got to be disciplined. That will take you beyond your ability by investing morally, making good decisions, wise choices, knowing where you can go, where you can't go, what you should have and what you shouldn't have, what to say and what not to say. You've got to invest morally. In your life, have another number three. Have a Bethel of sacrifice to build God's house. Investing financially is a sacrifice that builds God's house and God's purpose. And that's something I think this year, you know, many people in our church are going to have to make that step, saying, "God, I want to, I want to take that step and be able to sacrifice financially with your money." You know, some people have all kinds of ideas and say it's all Old Testament, it's all this, you know something. I, I don't know if it's Old Testament or if it's, it's Old Covenant, but you know what, when, I've, when I made that step in my life, I saw that God ultimately blessed me beyond my wildest imagination. So I can't work that out, but I know it works. So we've got to stay in relationship with Jesus. Keep that part of your life tight with the Lord and protect your place of Bethel. So at one heart, let's build a Bethel culture of correct motives, correct relationships, correct sacrifice, and let's just see what God does. Let's just see what God does when we live like that. So today I want to pray. We're just on one minute to go. And I want you to respond to Bethel.
so that others can experience that. So why don't we stand to our feet? I want to pray for you today. I want us to, to consider what I've said tonight. And I've spoken to you as leaders. And I want you to, to rise as leaders in, in the life of your family and the life of this church. Let's build a Bethel culture. The reason why we have to do that is so that we make a way for others to come to their Bethel. Some people are going to come into this church, like there's people here tonight, came into this church, didn't even believe there was a God. But we've set up the culture that they can see a little bit of heaven. Because Jacob went to Bethel and he saw heaven and he saw the Lord. And that's why we want to make our church as as uh, welcoming and as friendly and as spiritual as we possibly can so that someone coming in who's got the reversal going on in their life can say, hey, suddenly I saw the Lord at One Heart Church. So we're, we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, Father, for the Bethel encounters in our lives. Lord, I pray for every person here tonight that there may be disciplines uh, made in their life, that they may... S- they may say, Lord, I'm going I'm to invest my, my time in the mornings. I'm going to invest my time in the evening. I'm going to make a commitment to you. So, Lord, I just pray right now that we may, each one of us here, make that decision in our hearts to be Bethel people. Not an imitation, but the real thing. So, Lord, I just pray, open our hearts. Cause your spirit to descend. And may we see Jesus, the Lord, standing in heaven. And that revelation moments of life where we say, Lord, thank you that you directed me. You took me through the storm. You took me through the fire. I just say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray, be, have your spirit in our church. I just thank you so much for what you're doing and where we've come from. And Lord, we want to keep our eyes fixed on the future. And Lord, I also just want to pray for those who are in reversals. Those who, thought, uh, who think, but Lord, it wasn't fair. Lord, why did this happen to me? Lord, I didn't deserve this. Um, Lord, I just pray that you cause them to find a Bethel moment in their pain. A Bethel time in their pain. Lord, I pray for restoration in ministries. I pray for, for, for uh, people to rise up into things that they thought have passed them by. So I just pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.